Hey everybody, how's Friday going? It is typically hot <laughs> where I'm at. Everybody see me okay? Everybody see everything okay? Let's take a look. Make sure we're streaming correctly. Okay. Let's read a couple things, see what's going on out there. Cheddar says, happy Friday. Donald says, howdy from Alabama. Uh, I want to say D-Clan says, uh, what's up, first stream? Cool, welcome. I I'm glad. Um, okay. Oh, hurricane down there in Texas. Yeah. I saw some of the pictures that uh, that uh, uh, Ryan at RNA Music posted that <laughs> hurricane was crazy. So... Uh, oh, first question. Let's start with the first question. Ready? Says, hey. Wait, hold on. I just dropped it. Oh, Chris says, no, Ralph. No, Ralph is on Saturdays. He comes, what happens is he comes and hangs out with me on Saturdays to get some work done. And um, while we're doing work, uh, I said, why don't we do a couple of the live shows? Um, Jared Briggs says, hey, Phil, any new gear this week? Um, yeah, actually, I, I got a new piece of gear. Um. Technically, probably since the last time anyone's asked me, I've, I've gotten two uh, pieces of gear. Um, I got a Supersonic 22 head again, right there. I had one. I got rid of it. I, rec uh, I, I regretted it as soon as I sold it. In fact, I sold the head, and then I sold the combo. I regretted both. I got the combo back, and I bought the head, and it all worked out. And then underneath the head, I don't know if you see, I got a Paul Reed Smith Custom 50 head, and that's another amp that I owned a while back ago. And um, and if you notice, there's a bunch of amps missing. It's because I sold a bunch of amps and bought a couple amps. That's what I did. Um, so the... Let's see, how? Huh. Um, all right, let's get into questions. Okay, here's what we got. Um, Henrik says, hey, Phil, uh, the question is, Ivanez Premium versus Iron Label, you know, right? Um, they are almost the same thing. They're both going to be made in Indonesia. They're both in the... Uh, but the premium thing, so if you guys don't know, let's just start with the easy question uh, or an easy answer. Premium is Ibanez's way to uh, uh, come at the fact that eventually prestige made in Japan will go away. Now, I'm not saying they're going to phase it out. What I'm saying is, is that a lot of people do know this, that the, the company that makes uh, Ibanez Prestige guitars also makes other guitars, but they also make uh, the exotic dashboards for Lexus cars. And it's uh, way more profitable to make uh, a dashboard for a Lexus than it is for, uh, to make an Ibanez a guitar. So uh, Ibanez invested in building the Indonesian factory or taking the Indonesian factory and doing premium. Uh, their whole spiel, of course, that they're training the Indonesian employees to, with the Japanese employees. Um, what I can tell you in my personal experience, which is always where I always kind of uh, lean towards because, you know, it's a lot easier to tell you what I've experienced versus what I've read somewhere. Ibanez premium to me is... I, 
hit and miss for me. I've owned a couple and I've, I've, I've worked on a couple that were as good as Prestige any day of the week. And then I've had a couple that weren't. So where the only thing is, although I think premium can be equal to quality as Prestige, they haven't got consistency down. And because I, because I, Prestige usually, I mean, 9.9 out of 10 times is perfect. Um, so, uh, and, and I, when I say perfect, I mean frets. Fret work is where all the trouble comes from. You know, a factory's ability to build a body is a very straightforward thing. A paint job is, again, difficult, but a straightforward thing. Just getting the necks right is tricky for companies. Um, those of us who remember the, uh, the 70s three-bolt strat necks remember why getting a neck wrong will make you nuts. Um, uh, David uh, McGee says, Hey, what do you think of the Seymour Duncan Pearly Gates pickups? Um, I like them. Uh, my... My thing is, I've learned that anything Billy Gibbons likes is probably going to sound good. He's, he's, he's got. I, I've said this before, not on a live show, I don't think, but um, there are some artists that I think are just fantastic guitar players, and there's some artists that are fantastic guitar players and producers, and then songwriters. But some are really good at like product management, like figuring out what products really work. And Billy Gibbons has got an ear for not only music and songwriting, but he's got that he knows when a when a piece of gear is right. And uh, I think the Pearly Gates was something he was involved in, and. Um, I have a Pearly Gates in the neck of my diamond guitar, and I have a Pearly Gates in the bridge of, I think it's one of my strats. Uh, I can't, it's not in this room, but, uh, so I have two Pearly Gates, and I like them. They're great, if you, you know what they are? They're a great, uh, compromise to, like, a 59 pickup. If you don't want something so dark, I think they, they kind of hit. I was told once, I don't know how accurate it is, it's one of those rumor mill things, that a lot of the Fender Bridge pickups that come standard, besides the Tim Shaw's, before Tim Shaw, uh, a lot of the Fender pickups, uh, humbuckers, were modeled after the Pearly Gates. And if you really go through the history of this, you realize that, uh, you know, a lot of those companies in California are connected. Seymour Duncan did work for Fender. Kiesel Guitars did pickup work for Fender and Mose Wright. You know, those, there's a lot of those stories over the years. Those guys were using each other uh, to help each other out and, and cons- contract work with each other. So um, so here's a good question. Uh, Metalix says, hey, Phil, have you tried any well-reviewed cheap pickups like uh, Iron Gear, Warman, uh, uh, Tone Riders, and others? Um, I haven't. Reviewing pickups, I've done a few, and the problem is it's really hard to, to kind of do a review of a pickup because it's really hard to say, you know, what you're hearing. Um, but that is something I'm interested in because I really, I really think pickups are a thing that can be as simple as if you use the right materials, you have a good product, right? Um, so, um, so using good wire, using good magnets, using a good assembly process. So... I think it's easy to, for a manufacturer to make a good, inexpensive pickup if they want to. The I'm tra- okay, so I'll tell you a, 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 a very famous builder once told me that it costs about six dollars to make a pickup. It wasn't Seymour Duncan, so don't get started there. Um, but and um, and that most the price of a pickup is in the intellectual properties, and it was the idea of it. So so that a $69 single-coil pickup is $69 because it's a premium put on the fact that they own that name, that that marketing, and that it generally costs about $6. Now, the reason why this story is interesting is when they told me that, they also told me that that's why it's not a huge savings to go overseas for pickups because it's really not an expensive thing to make anyways. So... Um, 
so something to be said. It's kind of like, so you know, a lot of manufacturers deal with the fact that, uh, you know, when you make an Alder body, you know, Fender makes an Alder, bo- Alder body guitar here in the U.S., and they make an, a knockoff Strat, like a Squire overseas, the Alder body actually costs more overseas because they got to ship it from here to there. So the guitar doesn't cost more to manufacture, but that body actually physically costs more. And then they make it up on the difference of the labor and the, the other parts and stuff. But All right. Um, Okay, Peter's got a great question. If you put Gibson pickups in a in a top Epiphone, would it fool a Les Paul blind, uh, lover blindfolded? Okay, Peter, I'm answering this question because it really goes to a heart of something that I, I, I've experienced, which is there are two, two things in play anytime we're talking about gear. And that's why some people get excited about gear and some people, you know, just don't worry about it. And here's what gear is for. Gear is not for the audience. I always hear this, you know, can an audience tell the difference? No, here's my analogy, I like it. Can you tell the difference? If you went to a restaurant and they chopped up some carrots, could you tell the difference between the $300 knife chopped carrot and the cheap knife chopped carrot? No, they taste the same. So the knives are not for the, 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 the person eating the carrots. The knife is for the chef. Gear is for the chef. So, um, the truth is the, the, in a blindfold taste test, can you hear a difference between the pickups? Not always. Um, or no, sorry. I know what you're saying. If you put the Gibson pickups, can you hear a difference in the, from the upphone to the Gibson? Not usually because the, your ear will hear essentially mostly the pickup. The pickup is most the sound. But when playing, you'll feel differences in the guitar. And back to that knife again, a chef with a nice knife, they might, they feel different when they're cutting. So it's up to the individual player to decide how important that feeling is. You know, um, it's, it's why I always tell everybody for pedals, I use a uh, boss blues driver as my baseline. I like that pedal. So to me, if a pedal wants to be $200, I want to AB it and see how much better it is. Cause if it's close, then it's not, it's not valuable to me because I, I want something that's better than something I know that's good and it's 80 bucks. Um, let's see. Uh, next question. Okay. Blair Ross says best noiseless strat pickups. Um, I'm not a big, I love noiseless pickups and the idea that I don't like hearing the 60 cycle hum, but noiseless pickups always have, um, the sound to them. They don't seem to sparkle like a true single coil. Um, and uh, so I've always kind of found that I don't love them that way. Um, one of my favorite ones, uh, so I can't say best, but I'll say one of my favorites. One of my favorites are the um, the old DiMaggio Ingve Malmsteen pickups. I really like those. Um, uh, the Fender N3s were pretty good. I like those okay. Um, but I don't love any of them, so it's hard for me to say they're the best ones. Um, they're a practical use. I use them because they're, they're, they're practical. And um, and I would rather sometimes listen to, uh, or rather not listen to the noise and get a little less chime out of my, my pickup. Um, oh, Adam's got a, Adam, crazy question. I love it. Crazy question. Ready? Uh, it says, is there any benefits to playing a seven or eight string guitar through a bass amp? I heard the low frequencies like that could hurt a guitar amp. Um, okay, so uh, you can't hurt an amp when it comes to frequencies, you can only hurt the speakers. So guitar speakers, 
uh, generally are thinner and they don't uh, they don't handle the low frequencies, so they can break, they can blow. Um, but that being said, you know there are there are we've seen bass players like Michael Anthony uh, from Van Halen, and we've seen the bass player for ZZ Top use guitar cabinets as bass cabinets, um, or at least propped them up on stage and, and, and look like they're using them. Um, but my experience is that you can't hurt the amp, you'll just hurt the speaker. And so realistically, you would just make sure you have speakers that can handle those low frequencies. It's a pretty easy thing to figure out. You figure out what frequency that instrument can produce and then make sure your speaker has a frequency response that can go low enough to take that. Um, so you'll see a lot of the heavy chugga chugga guys, they'll use either a lot of speakers, you know, so that they can uh, take all that, that uh, low end uh, frequency or they use, you know, like you can use like a 300 watt EV guitar speaker. And uh, I can't imagine, you know, Zach Wilde was infamous for using those because he was tuning his guitar down to C. Um, so there you go. And uh, so to answer your question, would it be better to play it through a bass amp? Uh, I don't know because bass amps have a more of a high fidelity sound to me and I wouldn't like them with distortion. So I would rather, given the choice, uh, a 7 eight, 8 string guitar through a bass amp or a guitar amp with a speaker that handles those frequencies, I would pick the guitar amp with a better speaker. Um, let's see. And more important, I keep saying speaker, not cabinet, because bass cabinets are tuned differently and they'll, they'll accent things in the guitar that you probably won't love as much. Um, let's see. Cream Fresh Cream says, hey, Phil, what's up with the Jojo Dual Clons demo? Um, well, this week got jacked up. I sliced my finger open. Uh, so playing guitar, even with super glue on my fingertip, was uh, pretty hard to do. So the videos this week, if you noticed, were me not playing anything. <laughs> I did demonstration videos. So that really messed it up. I wanted to redo it and then do a live. And then uh, obviously, if you can't play, you can't play. Uh, I'm better now. So it, it, I'll get that resolved. In fact, that's what backed up. Uh, I had three videos scheduled this week that were all playing videos. And I couldn't get to them because of that. Uh, Oh, okay. Here's a good one. Marco's got a great, uh, says Phil, um, advice on buying a semi hollow guitar, what to avoid. That's good. What to avoid on a semi hollow guitar. Well, semi hollow guitars feedback. Um, you know, the only thing I could suggest, uh, suggest for something to be cautionary about is that they're expensive to manufacture comparatively to a, a solid body guitar. So uh, I've noticed that when they get too inexpensive, they get a little junky really fast. The thing with semi hollow guitars that actually I would also pay attention to is that they tend to, uh, when they price them in the in the in the nice ranges, the three, four, five, six hundred dollar range, um, the electronics tend to be pretty junky. So I always suggest that, and it's really uh, techs generally uh, charge a lot more to install into hollow body guitars. So. That's what I'd be aware of. Um, take some time to play them and, and figure out what pickups are in there because that's what they will junk out is all those electronics. I'll, I, and whenever I have somebody want me to install a pickup in a hollow body, I, I usually take my little dental mirror and I go in there and look and I like nine out of 10 times, I'm like, man, really these switches, all this stuff is just the junk. It's just junk. Well, let's just gut everything out and put it all new in. And, uh, and so just be aware of that. Um, SG Flying V says, have you ever wound your own pickup? Yeah, I did it three or four times, mostly to experience it, to see how I could, uh, you know, how to do it. Um, what my experience told me was that uh, you can't formulize it. I thought I could. 
you know, 900 wraps, this wire, this will get me this. And no, there was a little bit more to it. The pickup sounded okay. Uh, my first one was really microphonic, even though I paraffin waxed it. Um, so, but I mostly just wanted to learn the process. Um, everybody's got a different uh, mentality for stuff, right? My mentality, what, what I learned in that endeavor was that I can do it. And if I worked on it, I could probably improve it, you know, improve what my way of doing it. But based on my time, I could buy them cheaper than I can make them. In fact, it's very frustrating. That's really, if you think about it, look at builders in the United States. They have this problem um, where you can buy stuff complete cheaper than you can make it. You know, I can buy a pickup a dirt cheap, you know, uh, you, you know, uh, guitar fetish. You can buy a pickup from guitar fetish for what it almost, for what the parts cost. So, and we already discussed that a minute ago that it's pretty inexpensive to make one for those manufacturers. So, um, pickups are also another thing we've talked about scalable. It's scalable, uh, uh, pricing, which means the more you make, the cheaper you can get it. So that's why it's hard to, to make pickups in, uh, it, it cheap. That's why boutique pedal guy, our pickup guys charge a lot because not because it costs a lot to make, cause we already decided that it's just that unless you have volume, you got to make, you got to make a good amount if you want to try to make a living off of it. Um, Okay, Scott Scoot Scoot 30 373 says, "How come we don't see more strats from Japan and the US?" Um, there's a couple reasons for that. One is cuz Fender Japan obviously uh, is is just mostly supports the European market and Japan. Um, I've heard different reasonings for that, but the one reason I like the most besides the tsunami that happened a few years back and all that stuff the main thing that I uh, was told by the Fender guys was that the Japanese market likes to buy American guitars. And so they, they ship a lot of the American guitars over there. And the American market is not so much driven for the Japanese uh, guitar market. I don't know. I, I don't believe that. Um, one of the bases I've been wanting for years is a 30-second scale jazz bass. They only make them in the Fender Japan market. And you find them on eBay. And... I've almost bought one a couple times on eBay, but they're almost a thousand dollars, and I—it's because they got to sh ship them over here, and they're not supposed to. So you know, U.S. dealers aren't supposed to ship to Japan, and Japan dealers aren't supposed to ship to U.S. They have agreements that they sign um, because Fender, uh, like a lot of companies, have distribution deals in different countries, so that's why they can't do that. But okay, um, let's see. Uh, some of these questions are the same questions. I'm always looking for new questions, something new that we can kind of figure out. And... Oh, Cheddar uh, Kung Pao uh, hey, uh, says, Phil, is that Black PRS a core 245 behind you or something? Nope, that's uh, my, uh, that is, sorry, I'm backwards. Uh, that's an S2 Semi Hollow. I have owned uh, a couple of them. I currently own two, and they're my favorite PRS is the core S2 semi hollow. Um, I, the next a little, little chunky, just a little bit for me, um, uh, versus what I like on my, like my core, my custom 24, but, um, you know, beggars can't be choosers. I just like the guitar. It's light. It feels good. It sounds good. So, yeah, but yeah, that's my black one. I use that one a lot. And, um, in fact, uh, since you guys are watching, I don't know if you care to know this, but most anything you see in my office, I don't play that much. 
this room is really my my room. I come in and I work, but and I you know, but I have in the other room. If you guys have been watching this channel a long time, you guys remember when there used to be a white wall behind me full of guitars. That's the other room. So that's where the other stuff is. That's where I mostly play. So, <laughs> so um, the guitars I really keep in rotation playing and stuff um, are in the other room. Okay. Um, let's see. Phil, is the 65 Deluxe Reverb reissue made in the USA? I don't believe so anymore. I, I understand now that it's down to just the hand-wired series amps. Everything else is made in Mexico. So uh, that is my understanding. Um, they usually say made in Mexico. I've noticed probably why you're asking the question. The 65 Deluxe and the Supersonic 22s don't seem to say made in anywhere on them. They just impl- they just put the California address. Is that why you're asking the question? I've I've uh, but um, Fender has slowly been moving the process of the amplifier sections over to Mexico over the years. Um, the last time I was in the factory, they were down to just a few skews of amps, the hand wired series, and I think they were doing. Maybe the Supersonic 100, but that was discontinued. Um, uh, so, yeah, most of it is. Uh, so, there you go. So, there you go. Um, oh, Michael Del La Torre says, uh, Phil, what happened to the minute guitar reviews you were doing? You know, believe it or not, uh, I did that. I thought I had it. I, you know, you always try to outsmart people, and you can't. So I thought, you know, I really didn't want to do a a review of all my guitars. I thought that maybe the people who hang out on the live shows, the people that, you know, I interact with when I'm doing all the the QA emails and stuff, you guys would want to see that. That would be something interesting. I kind of feel connected to you, right? I mean, I interact with you guys a lot, especially on these live broadcasts and stuff. And so I thought, okay, I don't want to do a video on YouTube just going, here's my guitars. Who cares? So I did it on Facebook and Instagram. Well, I got as many people there being jerks to me about it too. You know, like, hey, why do we want to see this? But I'm like, I don't know. You're the one that's on my Facebook and Instagram watching. Don't watch. Uh, So I'm going to do it again. Uh, uh, And then I cut my finger open. So, and then that kind of killed it too. So it was a double whammy. But I'm going to do it. Um... Andy Dub said, uh, your thoughts about the article about Gibson's money problem? Um, I don't know if that's a new article. I haven't seen anything this week. Um, yeah. I mean, I've read the other articles about money problems, like kind of like Guitar Center, lots of debt, uh, not a lot of movement, a lot of expansion. So, you know, the 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 only thing I want to tell everybody is ties into Guitar Center too. Um, you know, I always use this analogy. It's good. You have a neighbor. Everybody's got one that's like this, that has you know, a nice car and nice, you know, nice stuff and, and, uh, or, you know, maybe it's a friend or a family or anyways, they got lots of stuff and tons of credit card debt. They're just, they're racked up to debt for their stuff. And the truth is they, you know, you could sit there and go, yeah, they're, they're in debt, they're in trouble. Uh, and it's probably true, but the truth is they just, some people can live in debt. Some businesses are effectively okay at living in debt. So, uh, and some businesses are liquid. So in, in business though, generally you want to have a certain amount of debt to some degree, um, because you need debt for expansion, right? If you show me a business that doesn't have any debt, they're probably not expanding. So in Gibson's case, I don't know what's going on, but I can tell you that the debt line on Gibson, the debt on Fender, the debt on Guitar Center, these are been co- these have been things that we've been talking about for over a decade. Um, so I hope the bottom doesn't fall out on them. That's basically what it comes down to. Um, let's see. Uh, 
Next question. Okay, Ed Bailey says, Phil, why is there no U.S. dealers for Aria Pro gear? Question mark. Uh, were they at NAM? I believe they were at NAM. I see them every year. I, I missed them this year. It's, you know, it's kind of like I've been to so many NAMs. After a while, I just kind of, I, I picture where they're at. I didn't, I don't remember not seeing them this year. So I'd have to look again um, at the at the winter NAM. They weren't at the summer NAM. Um, there's those well, you know, you, it's it's a no-brainer. If Fender and Gibson are kind of cr- crying that it, sales are down, the smaller guys are, are dealing with it too. So that's the deal with Aria Pro. But Aria Pro has a really nice Japanese line of high-end guitars. Um, my first real guitar was an Aria Pro 2. It was, I mean, it was just a great guitar. It was made in Korea. It was one of the, you know, less expensive ones. But that was my first, you know, I, I got my first junk guitar and then I got my Aria Pro 2 and I thought it was cool. I think I've told this story before, but uh, the uh, in the and I grew up in Tucson, and in Tucson there wasn't a whole lot of name brand guitars in stores. And Aria Pro was actually a bigger name brand of the no, you know, even though it's a no name brand, it was one of the prestigious brands you could get. It was it was better than the other. Believe it or not, it was better than all the brands you even never even heard of compared to that. At least Aria Pro had a couple ads in Guitar World, <laughs> so. Um, Uh, Carl, this is a good question because believe it or not, he says, have you ever played a Paul Languedoc guitar? I have once and I've played a lot of Languedoc copies. Uh, two of the instructors that, that work for me, uh, uh, both are huge, um, uh, fish fans, right? Is it fish? Yeah. And, uh, anyways, they're huge fans of that and they both have Languedoc copies, uh, and I think I'm saying it right, like Languedoc, right? And uh, and the copies are expensive. Their copies are like a thousand, fifteen, two thousand dollars, three thousand uh, dollars. If you guys don't know what a Languedoc guitar is, it's uh, they're like ten thousand dollars. At least the last time I looked, um, and they're they're definitely uh, unique unique guitars. So um, there you go. Uh, Okay, SG Flying G, I know this is a good, good follow-up. It says, can we live in a world without Gibson guitars? Yeah, of course. Why not? We live in a world without none of these guitars. We can just have new, all new manufacturers. But, um, you know, I mean, it's realistic. Although, the, the real big question is, is, you know, will the next generations value Fenders and Gibsons like we do? Or will they value something else? So, um, I, I, I'll tell you a story that uh, that always affected me when when we used to sell a lot of Schecter we used to sell a lot of Schecter guitars one of the things that was interesting was uh, um, the guitar player the singer from The Cure he played a Schecter and he played a uh, he played an actual Korean made one and Sinister Gates and Zacky Vengeance from Vince Sevenfold, they were playing Korean ones too. Um, I'm sure they had some American custom shop ones. But the point I made was these kids were buying guitars uh, that the artists were playing. And so in a couple you know, years, a couple decades, will they care that those guitars aren't American made if it is the actual guitar they played? So my, my, my comment was if, if Jimi Hendrix was playing a Mexican made Strat, would anyone care about American Strat if the artists weren't playing them? You know, if that wasn't setting the tier? Um, so I, I don't know. I'm not telling you that. I'm asking the question. I like those kind of questions. I like, um, uh, so uh, let's see. Uh, next. 
Uh, Jason's asking me about the BK Butler overdrive pedal. Sorry, buddy. I've never tried it. Let's see. Okay, Phil Smith, what's your favorite scale, uh, guitar scale, and what do you think about the 25 and 3 eighths from John, uh, PRS John Mayer? Um, I, I haven't tried that crazy, uh, you know, I know they did something weird for John Mayer on the scale length. I, I haven't tried it. Um, not enough. I, I like, I touched one of the, the Eagle guitars at the show, I think. Uh, but, um, but my favorite scale length is 25 and a half. It's the Fender scale length. I, I'm just more comfortable with it. I have big hands, so it kind of makes sense. You know, I don't need the guitar ne uh, next to be short. So, uh, but I, but I play, you know, 24 and three quarters as well. And my 594 is what, 25 and a half. And it doesn't really, doesn't really, it's not much different. Um, hey, Phil, uh, Damon says, hey, Phil, have you tried, uh, have you played one of the Music Man guitars? I've owned many of the Music Man guitars, mostly the Petrucci stuff. Um, they're very good stuff. Uh, very good quality, feels good, you know. Um, I was playing a seven string. Uh, the only reason I don't have any more is because I ended up keeping my Ibanez. You know, it's kind of like an old dog new tricks thing. I started with an Ibanez seven string, and I ultimately just decided that's the guitar I wanted for my seven string. Um, so, I think that's normal for all of us, right? It's normal for me, probably for you. Habit, right? You're used to what you're used to. There's a lot of times where I make a decision. There's, it's not the the smartest decision when it comes to a piece of gear, but it's the emotional decision, and this is an emotional thing. Okay. Uh, yeah, Chris says, hey, if rock stars are playing Fender and Gibsons, young kids will follow suit. Absolutely. Everything I own. You know, I get ridiculed uh, sometimes about it but uh, for saying it, but I'll say it. Everything I own is because some rock star had it. That's it. That, I mean, there's just, there's no, no qualms about that. I own a Gibson because I love Slash. I own a Fender because... You know, I like John Mayer, and I, I like, you know, Jeff Beck, and you like Eric Clapton. That's just, you know, what it, what it is. So, okay. Uh, Sean Blue says, hey, Phil, thanks for everything. Amp head for home practice to complement a PV, PV Classic 20. An amp head for home practice. So you have a PV Classic 20 head already? Um, hit me again with that question. That I'm a little confused by it. The amp head for home practice to compliment. Oh, so another one. You're saying, okay, I get it now. You're ha you have a PV Classic 20. You want to do another head, like a wet dry rig or a stereo rig. Um, you know what? Uh, you know what would be a good amp for that is the, uh, the Agnator Tweaker because it doesn't have reverb, so you can use that as your dry rig, and it's got that kind of fendery cool tone to it, uh, relatively close in price and wattage. So I would check that out. I like that amp. So, so... HK says, what is the best Marshall in a box pedal? Um, I just reviewed that Pal 800. That's really good. Um, everybody kept asking me about the Lawrence Petro 68. To me, that that's a Marshall, but that's a really amazing kind of creamy pedal um, that's Marshall-esque in the idea that it's it's got the Marshall tone, but it's a little better than a Marshall in the idea that it's really hitting that sweet spot. To me, when I think of gritty rocky nasty marshals those those you know i think of that pal 800 it's definitely uh marshals are like a mutt dog they just got this sound they don't sound polished and sweet they they're in your face they're there uh they, they've come to party so to speak and so 
Um, and then sometimes there's a, that mar other Marshall sound, that refined kind of plexi sound. And the 68 is definitely that refined plexi sound. You know, uh, you know Eric Johnson and uh, and 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 where the 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 800 is more of that. You know, back in black, just crunchy. You know, f sound. So they're both just beautiful pedals in their own way. Those are my two favorites for that kind of Marshall sound. So, um, let's see. Uh, uh, next. Oh, okay. Here's a good one. You know what? I get this question a lot, and I haven't answered it, so it'd be a good answer. It was, "What do I, what do I like better for blues, the Victory or the Friedman amp?" Um, yeah, what amp would you recommend for blues between the Friedman and the Victory? Um, that's tough because you said blues. I prefer the Friedman amps over the Victory amps, but the uh, the Victory Duchess that does have that sweet sweet blues tone so i would say in order victory duchess and then for blues i would say probably the dirty shirley or the um the runt 20 but i give the win to victory and that's pretty tough because i do like my freedman over my over the victories uh let's see um okay Next question. It says, <laughs> you guys have some crazy, crazy questions. Uh, what's my favorite selection speaker? Uh, vintage 30s. And then, and then uh, that's a toss up. It's vintage 30s and the Heritage speakers I like a lot. I have a greenback that I really like a lot as well, but I don't use it as much. Uh, but I like the vintage 30s. So, okay, next. Uh, William wants to know if I have heard the Dirty Shirley pedaled yet. No, I haven't. I talked to Dave Freeman. He said it's coming out soon, but I got the impression September. So in September. Um, and I'm. I might be able to secure a review of it, you know, to, to get one first. So, uh, not very first, but, you know, be one of the first to review it. So, that'd be good. I'm really curious because I really, really liked it. As you guys know, I really talked about it. Um, I like the BOD. I think the Dirty Shirley is just a little, a little nicer, less, less fizz, more crunch. So, um, let's see. Oh, Rockwell, good question. Have you ever played a pretty cheap guitar that blew your mind? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm a big fan of the Squire Bullets. I own two of them. Uh, I really like them. I like the fact that the bodies are slightly thinner. I like that they, uh, you know, they're light. They sound good. There's there's a lot of things to like. Um, you know, I, I, I don't don't really care how much a guitar costs. I just care about how it feels and plays and looks. So... Um, and that goes both ways, you know, um, sometimes, sometimes the guitar is, uh, is really expensive and it's not a great guitar. And sometimes the guitar is very inexpensive and it's a great guitar. So and we've all experienced that. These are all normal things I think to come across. Um, uh, Hendrick says any sweet memories with a Marshall looks that way when you talk about it, you know, Marshall for me, uh, I, it, there's a drop off, right? There's a certain point in, in, in age where you remember all the, every, every single stage having walls of marshals 
and then that that went away. So um, Marshall, to me, I think for a lot of guitar players, was they have made it if they had Marshalls. I think that's what it is. You know, you feel like, you know, you're like you you know you're a rock star if you had a wall of Marshalls. Um, but I think I, I, my biggest thing is that I really like the plexi amp. If I could get if I could get the sound as sweet as it does cranked, as it does quiet, I would I would love it. Um, okay, let's see. Somebody asked me EGs or Sonic. I'm only answering that question because you guys must be local because you don't see EGs everywhere. Um, I don't have a preference, but I just noticed EGs uh, is a place that you only pretty much see here. Okay, uh, Sonia says, hey, Phil, what's your favorite guitar with a humbucker pickup? My Strat. My Strat I, uh, that I have two humbuckers in, my Copper Strat, that's my number one guitar uh, by far. And it's a bear, It's boring. JB and a 59, nothing special. Love that guitar. Feels great, plays great. If I can only have one guitar, that's the guitar I'm getting it. So all right, I'm going to keep. Uh, I've never uh, Bobby wanted to know if I've ever owned a, owned a Firebird. I haven't. It's one of the few guitars that just, you know, it's out there, but can't own everything. <laughs> and that's, and that's, in fact, I've, I've maybe even worked on one or two. You just don't see them. Uh, oh, good, Bill. Bill, uh, Bill Sess is saying, I own a mini shil- uh, silver Jubilee. That's my main Marshall uh, and I'll never sell it. Good to know because, you know, I can't find one to try. Uh, I tried one at the NAMM show, couldn't really tell. I had a friend tell me that they played it, didn't like it. There's s- seriously none to play. I, at the at the summer NAMM, they had one, not plugged in, couldn't try it. So I was like, oh, well, I guess I'm not trying it there. I could have probably asked them. They may have, you know, I, I just feel awkward asking. Um, but man, I want to try that amp. I want to see uh, <laughs> what I'm missing. Do I do I need it? Do we do? You know, is it good? Um, so I'm good because I, uh, so, you know, the, uh, I almost ordered one, but I don't know if I was on Sweetwater, Musician's Friend, but whatever, it had two reviews and they were bad. So, so I was like, oh, well, that doesn't, that doesn't put a lot of confidence in you. Uh, uh, Victor wants to know, what do you think of the Marshall, uh, 2000 series, the JCM 2000s, like the TSL? I'm not a huge fan of the TSL. I, I, I tried a bunch and I've played a ton. They're okay. I, they're okay. I like the DSL. I don't know why I've had, you know, right. I just, for some reason, the DSL, uh, it just spoke to me more. It's, I don't know. Um, maybe because it has less knobs. It might be, uh, but no, you know what? I just liked it better. But I love the JCM 2000 uh, series. The I thought they were great. Okay. Um, okay. Oh, here's a good question. Brian says, hey, Phil, thoughts about adjusting your humbucker pole pieces to radius? In other words, you know, you have height adjustment screws, especially on like uh, uh, DiMaggio's and um, and so I see where Duncan's where they have screws. You can raise them and make them make them the radius of the fretboard. Um, you know, I don't know, you know, to be honest with you, it's one of the things I've never tried. And I, and I've, I try a lot of stuff because I'm curious. Um, it's something that I, I never really, I never put a whole lot of thought into. Um, I don't notice, 
you know, I hear it all the time. You know, you got to tilt this, the pickup this way. You got to do this. I, I just find that generally speaking, the pickups grab what they're going to grab. And so I've never put a whole lot of effort into it. Um, I would imagine that if it's an improvement, it's so minor that, you know, I don't know. Uh, let's see. Jaden said, best home practice amp for under 300 pounds. Uh, obviously you're in, you're in England. Uh, and that, um, you know, I still, I'm still a pro Katana. I like the Katana amp for sure. Um, I like the THR 10 by Yamaha. And so I'll give you three choices, uh, that, and you know what? I still like the Fender Champion 40. Uh, so there you go. Um, and, and the answer is, so, you know, I don't have the Katana anymore. I have the Champion 40. I got a Champion 40 for 50 bucks. So for 50 bucks, it's just, it was too easy to, to just have. Um, Mick, Mick Snovely, Mick Snovely says, I don't know. I'm going to say that's what it is. How do you like your diamond, uh, Bolero? I, I don't have it. You know what happened? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's 115 in Arizona. So on my birthday, a few weeks back on my birthday, on my birthday, the AC went out in the house and it got hot pretty fast. So we called the warranty company and the warranty company said they'd be out in two days it was on a Wednesday, and they said they'd come out on Friday. And uh, and then they told us that when they come out, not to approve any repairs until we call the warranty company back so they can approve it. Well, it was my birthday. I didn't really enjoy the idea that my family were coming into town and I was going to be sitting in the heat. So I have a friend who owns an air conditioning business, and I called him, and he was at my house within one hour, and he fixed it. It was a capacitor in the, in the fan, and he charged me... He said, well, what's your, what's your copay on the insurance? And we like 50 bucks. He's like, okay, well, give me 50 bucks. And in the real world, you guys know an air conditioning guy who gets to your house in one hour from calling them and fixes your air conditioning for 50 bucks. So I gave him a pedal. He's really into pedals. I know him really well. So I gave him a pedal to say, thank you. And while he was here, he kept going on about my Bolero and how great it was. And so, so he he said he's going to order one. He saw the video and he, he liked it. And long story short, you guys can imagine, I, I was on a, sh- a live chat with Jeff Diamond and the Tone King and all those, and Jeff Diamond gave me a smoking deal on that guitar. So I told told him that he could have the guitar dirt cheap. So I sold it to him for a little less than I paid for it. And um, so that's what happened. So, you know, it's just, it is what it is. So there you go. He loves it. So... And I loved it too. So that's why it's gone. It wouldn't have been gone any other way. Um, oh, great question. Space Jazz. With so many Korean guitars, are they are they all feeling a bit samey? <laughs> Love that. Samey, huh? The same. Yes, absolutely they are. Uh, the SEs uh, feel like the, the Diamonds and the Diamonds feel like the Schecters. Of course. They have a very like vibe kind of them. But in their defense... I, I don't know how to explain it, but I think some of the really expensive guitars like Sir and the really like $3,000, $2,500 uh, music bands and um, and the Tom Andersons, they feel samey to me. When I play them, they all have the kind of same feel to them. Um, so so I think that's real common, right? I think heritage guitars have a very same-like feeling to Gibson and the way they feel. So I think when you make guitars a certain way, they have a certain kind of feel. There's just no way around that. So yeah. Um, but in the defense of that sameness, 
So if you can say samey, I can say sameyness. Um, the Korean guitars are really good. There, you know, that's really the only thing. The really bigger question that that I uh, saw come through on the um, QA line, on the question and answer line, was, you know, how do I feel about all these Korean guitars hitting north of a thousand dollars? That's getting a little weird. I, I think this is uh, it's funny, like you know, your father's experience. You know, right now you experience something your father experienced. Um, I can now understand why some people feel the way they do about Japanese guitars being expensive when they remember them being so inexpensive. I feel the same way about Korean guitars now. I remember it just seems like yesterday Korean guitars were 350 bucks all day new and they were great. And now it seems like they're all close to $1,000. So it's a little weird, to, but yeah. Um, uh, let's see. Um, oh, Sebastian's got a good question. Sebastian says, Phil, any thoughts of buying gear from Amazon versus a real music store? Um, well, you know, <laughs> this is one of those answers you think you know are, you're going to go. But no, the truth is um, it's getting tough, right? We know what's, what's going on. The, the, the problem is, this is the only way I can answer the question. The difference to me is, as you said, a real music store. There are music stores everywhere. And let's be honest, some of them are not so great. They are, they don't really don't, you know. Um, so to me, it's invaluable what a small music store can bring to the table when you go in there and the staff and the owners care and they want to be there and they want the guitars, you know, to be great and they want the customers to have a great experience. You, you just can't Amazon that, uh, you know, have that same kind of experience. However, the truth is, you know, if your local store is not that great, well, then Amazon's your, your thing. But what I find is, and probably I'm sure you guys will be the same way, I don't think it's a question anymore of Amazon versus mom and pop. It's just availability. You know, you, it is where it is. Um, the last couple guitars I bought, last couple amps I bought, I had no choice but to go to certain places online because there's just nowhere that stocks that stuff. And I I know why no one stocks it because, you know, we're, we're buying it online. So, yeah. So the answer your question, uh, what are my thoughts on that? You know, I think the, the, the best say, saying is... Uh, is this uh, shop local when you can because it's going to help you as much as them. It puts money in your in your community, puts taxes in your community, does for your community. Um, but ultimately, you know, you got to do what you feel is right. But in my experience, I, I go to local stores still and I buy from local stores. But uh, online gets the most of my dollars just by default. Um, okay. Uh, Helmet says, hey, how do you get a good tone out of your Marshall Class 5 head given that it has no gain knob and no effects loop? Do you crank it? You can. You can crank it. I learned that if you're going to crank it, you want to turn the bass almost to zero, you know, just a little bit, put it through a, a speaker and just go. I, I don't really like that sound. Some people really dig it. Um, me, the Class 5 is all about a pedal platform. You use it for low volumes and put pedals in front of it. That's the only thing I found good for it. Um, you know, somebody said uh, the other day that the Marshall Class 5 is really just there because, I. you know what I have to say? If Marshall would make a decent amp in that same size box, we'd all buy that. Um, and I think everybody who has a Class 5 can agree you have it because there's no other option. It's either that or you don't own a Marshall unless you get a big amp. So, Or spend $2,000. 
Um, the on a side note, uh, the DSL fifteen, um, that's a good amp. Um, I know it's made in Vietnam. I don't really have a problem with that. Um, it's a technology thing. It's like my phone. Um, but I wish I had an effects loop. Uh, it's weird to me that it doesn't have reverb. So, and it's weirder that it doesn't have an effects loop. So that's my only issue. Uh, let's see. Oh, it jumped. I'm sorry. Let's go back one. Uh, Okay, uh, this probably won't mean anything to anyone else, but I'm going to do it. Acousta DC says, what did you think of Bob Turner passing? That's the question. Did you know him? Question mark. Do you have a Bob story? Yeah, I do have a Bob story. Bob Turner, what, it, who passed away, owned Rainbow Guitars. Rainbow Guitars in Arizona is, are not, sorry, Bizarre Guitar. My brain's out of it. Bizarre Guitar in, in Phoenix. Uh, Bizarre Guitar is still there. Um, it's one of the better stores in Arizona when it comes to the gear it has. Uh, there's really just Rainbow Guitars in Tucson and Bizarre Guitar that has the most gear. There's a bunch of great stores in between, but those are the two big stores for gear. Milano's is more of a band orchestra stuff. Um, and uh, my favorite Bob Turner story, which is not... It's just my favorite story, was... Um, I went and I bought my ES-339 Gibson from him. This is a couple years ago. And uh, so I went in there and I told, I, I walked in. I said, I want an ES-339. Bob came out of the office. He's talking to me. And uh, and I, I told him, I said, yeah, I want an ES-339. We, we, he, he got it down. We tried it, played it. I said, okay, I'll take it. And, uh, you know, Bob crunched some numbers and he came back and he goes, okay, this is the deal I'm going to give you. And uh, and uh, he said, I said, yeah, so how's Gibson treating you? And he says, you know, of course, Gibson was treating horrible because they're not notoriously known for being good to their dealers. Um, I was a Gibson dealer for nine months. That's how I lost my hair, by the way. Uh, and Gibson was a little stressful for me. Um, so anyways, uh, the, 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 the interesting part of the story was he was upset because Gibson was making him buy Gibson T-shirts. He said that basically they made him buy all this Gibson T-shirts and Gibson pickups. And he was complaining and complaining and complaining about it. And we got to the counter and I actually had already decided before I even bought the guitar that I was going to buy a Gibson t-shirt. I still have it. So I said, Hey Bob, um, don't get mad, but I want to buy a Gibson t-shirt. And, I, <laughs> and he goes, that's funny. And I go, no, seriously, I, I really want to buy the shirt. And he goes, Oh, please let me give you this Gibson t-shirt. And he went on a tirade. And if you guys probably won't mean anything, but if you know, Bob, you know, it was just funny how overdramatic he was about it. He was, it was a great guy. It was sad, sad to see him go. All right. The next question is uh, Nathan Dillard. And he says, uh, with the boom of boutique pedals these days, do you believe it has affected companies like Boss and Digitech and how they make their pedals? Um, it's a good question. Uh, the, the, definitely, it's everyone in the pool logic, I think, uh, uh, is the logic. Um, I don't think so. I think Boss, Digitech, I can't speak about because they go a different way. But really, here's what I've noticed. Uh, Boss, MXR, uh, Digitech, um, they're still the three leaders. It's like Fender, Gibson, and Ibanez. They're still the dominant force of guitars. There could be a thousand manufacturers making guitars. There could be a thousand small builders making guitars, just like pedals. Everybody could be making pedals in the, all day long, but these guys just own too much market share. And I think if the boutique revolution, whatever that is, was going to do damage to these guys, they would have done it by now, because if anything, the boutique thing is on the downslide. Um, and, uh, and the reasoning for that is uh, we tried it all, right? 
Don't you guys feel like you've tried enough of the pedals to know? Now you kind of know what you, you want? I don't know. Maybe I'm jaded. I, I still like pedals. I still collect them. So I don't know. Uh, let's see. Next question is... <laughs> Enrico, Enrico, great. He says, the problem with Marshall is that everyone but Marshall makes a good sounding Marshall. Yeah, I've said the same thing. I've said the same exact thing. I wish Marshall would identify the customer base that exists. Um, so let's see. Uh, uh, I didn't see the person. I'm sorry. But the question was, uh, how come Fender Roadhouse Strats are so underrated? Uh, they're made in Mexico. There's, you know, right? That's why people, people don't. They're fantastic guitars. The Deluxe Strat by the Mexican Deluxe Strat is great. Um, so, uh, let's see. Man, some of these questions, I, I try to answer them, but they're a little long. Uh, do you see a future of, do you see the future of, okay, this is from Mike. Do you see the future of guitar companies moving all factories overseas, only leaving the custom shops in the USA? That's the question, right? Um, that, you know, uh, I, I always say, I'll say the same thing about, this is what I feel. I say the same thing about manufacturers as I say about retail. There is no absolute zero. In other words, there'll never be no mom and pop music stores. There'll never be no U.S. manufacturers. There'll just be smaller and less of them. And the reason is, is because um, there's always going to be some kind of market, right? So there's going to be a place. But really, what if you notice was, um, the only thing to take notice is, is this. A uh, little interesting thing I thought was interesting. Now, we're talking about Canada, right? But if you take North America... Godin actually is producing the most amount of guitars. They're the number one producer of electric guitars in North America. So they overtook Fender and, and Gibson, not combined, but each, um, because of the fact that over the years, you know, Fender has moved to South America or Mexico and overseas, and then Gibson has moved overseas with Epiphone. So, um, yeah, you'll see this. It'll be a, a, it'll be a thing. I don't know. Um, yeah. But I, I, I wish I had an answer to why that is or is not important. Obviously, if you live in the United States, like I've said over, over and over again, it's wherever you live. Wherever you live, you want jobs where you live. You want your economy to be strong. So, um, but what I see is constantly is upstarts of small guitar shops like Acacia Guitars and companies where they're making, they're smaller companies, but they're building guitars. There's lots of those out there. So, like I said, the, the idea that you can always get an American guitar will always be around because... Right. But I, I, I think that with Gibson and Fender specifically, those two companies, the premium is on the fact that they still make an American guitar. They still get a premium for those guitars. So I would imagine as long as they can command a premium for those guitars, then then they they'll they'll build them here. Doesn't matter how much profit it, they get. They get profit. Trust me. <laughs> right. You can't make a guitar for for what they're they're charging and not make money. Um. Okay. Uh, let's see. 
So he says, can we see a high school picture of you with hair? Yeah, I guess. I haven't had hair since I was... I said Gibson took it, but it's not true. I haven't had hair since the Army. Okay. Uh, Stephen Cook, best speaker upgrade for a Hot Rod Deluxe. Um, I Out of all the Hot Rod Deluxes I owned, I kind of like the, uh, the Eminence speaker that Fender st- stuck in it. Some people are going to say different. I like that one. Uh, Vintage 30 was okay. Some people use the uh, the Jensen. Uh, I thought that was okay. It pronounced the the mids. Um, it, it's it's tricky. So um, I like Eminence. Okay, Dylan, what do you think of Kiesel guitars? I like them. I keep thinking about buying one. They're beautiful. I'm dumb. I I'm on, on Instagram. I follow them, and every day. Jeff Kiesel puts like the most amazing picture of a guitar out there, right? If you guys, if you guys want to follow something on Instagram, follow that. It is, I swear they're so good. They're so gorgeous. I, I wonder if they're Photoshopped or something. I've just never seen, they're works of art. Every single one of them. Every time I think that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. The next Instagram picture is even one that's just more breathtaking. Beautiful, beautiful guitars. Um, let's see. Um. Oh, good question. Aaron says, "Hey, cheap Gibson out Les Paul versus an expensive Epiphone Les Paul. Like, which one's better? I like the expensive uh, Epiphone. Yeah, I would rather have. Same with uh, uh, like um, you know, a lot of guitars. I would rather have an import trekked out version than a, you know, a, and that's from experience. I've bought both. Um, you know, and and what happens is, uh." You know, you, you, the the Gibson, uh, you know, not having a, a shiny finish because that's what it is when you say inexpensive Les Paul, cheap Les Paul. It's a satin finish guitar. I prefer having a gloss finish to a satin finish if given a choice. Um, so, oh, my lemon blue, your Dane Electro 1984. You seen it's a wiring question mark? Use a treble bleed question mark? You know, I don't know. I didn't look. I didn't. See I don't suspect it does, but I, I'll have to look. I'll look now. I never thought to look inside. So. Okay. Um, oh, Michael uh, Michael saying WGS. Those, are those those warehouse speakers? WGS speakers are amazing. Okay. Okay, this is Ed Bailey. Hey, Phil, do you have any experience with solderless pickups? I'm looking at the MG GZRP uh, base, P base pickup. Oh, GZRP base pickup. Uh, are they truly noiseless? Uh, do the connections hold solid? Uh, so the answer to your question, yes, they are truly noiseless, noiseless. And yes, the connections do hold solid. My experience with the solderless EMG systems is that um, they work great as long as you can... As long as all the holes are drilled out and everything's fine. On a P-Base, everything's going to be top-mounted to your pickguard. Uh, highly recommend that. Uh, it's it, easy to go. So, yeah, and you'll have no problem with the connectors. I've never seen any connectors go bad. Um, so, highly recommend that. 
Uh, Bert asked this question. I, I, I can't answer it, but I'm just going to answer that I can't answer it. Phil says, can you tell us about the Carvin Bel Air Vintage? I, I don't. I don't know anything about it. So can't. Uh, uh. Joshua says, hey, what happened to the Marshall DSL-40? You know, I didn't keep it. You know, I tried it out. I liked it. It was good. Um, you know. Mostly that was I bought it used and I had an opportunity to check it out. I really liked it, but I didn't love it. Um, uh, Space Jazz says, year and color of my telly. My telly is a Magnificent 7 and it's a seafoam green and there's one for sale used on guitarcenter.com right now. <laughs> I just saw it and I thought. Um, I thought they're asking a little high on it, but I don't know what it's worth. So... Um, they were asking 1100 used. I thought that's what I paid new for it. So, I mean, I, I was like, when I saw it, 1100 used, I go, I, I swear I paid 11 new for it. But given that I guess a new standard, because it's basically just a standard telly with a painted headstock, given that a standard is, well, the Pro Series is 1400 now, maybe 1450. Nah, I don't know. 11 still seems high. But, um,. Mike said, when's the Yamaha THX amp demo? Probably not for a while. You know, um, I still got to get my hands on one. I saw, I didn't see the video yet, but I saw Chapman uh, and the Anderson's guys did a uh, small amp shootout. I think that was in there. Did anyone see it? Was it good? I got a, uh, my week was hectic and I couldn't catch some of the stuff. Uh, Honest Cigar Review says, are you in Arizona? I am in Arizona. Yep, that's why it's it's hot. In fact, if you saw Instagram today, I posted, and I got in my truck today. It was at 120. <laughs> it's not real. You know how the car tells you one temperature and you turn on drive? It dropped down, I think, after that, like the 113, and then it went to 107, something like that. But it said 120. Actually, it said 122. <laughs> so. Um, Damon says, have you played the McCarty 594 soap bar yet? No, no, it's going to be a little bit before I, I get my hands on one. Uh, somebody bought one and I get to check it out before it gets shipped to them. So, Aaron goes, how many amps do you have? Um, uh, you know, I don't know if I should answer before or after the purge. Um, now, probably about 10 before probably 30 um you know you, you collect them up it's like the tone king he's probably got 50 60 uh the the reason for me the reason the purge out right now is because i don't collect amps it's not something i'm interested in uh so i just they just started i don't know getting too many i guess mostly because i want to try them uh, Dylan says, why don't PRS guitars move well? Well, um, I don't, probably because they're expensive, but they move well enough. They're backlogged. It's six months waiting list to get a new a core model right now. I know because I just ordered one. And if you guys saw, I ordered that 594 in January. And when I got it, it took about four and a half, five months. So they sell well enough to put a backlog on them. But that being said, you know, the, the, the real question is, you know, 
Well, here's the thing. And uh, somebody was, uh, this is kind of fun to talk about. By the way, there's 637 of us hanging out, 38 hanging out. Um, somebody was beating me up really hard on Facebook the other day about Gibson and PRS because Paul's going to come on next week. Uh, if you guys know, he was going to come on today. I messed up the time zone things. And Paul Reed Smith and the guys had. Paul R. Smith and Jean, who's amazing there. Uh, she's not very nice to me on the. She was very nice to me on the phone. They, even though it was my fault, they said, "Hey, we'll we'll reschedule it for next week." So he's he's on next week, next Thursday. But um, to answer your questions, he's he's not here to promote. He's not here to sell his guitars. He's here because he wants to talk. Uh, like when Sammy Ash came on and just talk about gear with a bunch of gear guys. He was like, you know, he, he, he likes that it's a it's a gear channel, so he wants to hang and talk gear. So if you guys got questions for him, you know, send them to us and and or be on the live show. Um But uh the uh the um the 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 interesting thing that I was going down this road was somebody was giving me a hard time about Gibson versus PRS and they were saying, Hey, you know, you you you're very pro PRS. And um what's funny to me is they don't even know the half of it. I was giving last week, I was giving the Gibson Les Paul that I bought a hard time because the quality doesn't hold up to where the PRS does. But here on the, so I'll give PRS some hard time. My problem with PRS is, is that 594 is amazing. That custom 24 is amazing, but I like my S2 the most out of those. There's an SE. That's a SE. Whoops. God, I can't do this because it's there. There's an SE <laughs> seven string out of my guitars. My S2 is my favorite. So so it's not even the most expensive PRS. In fact, I've been debating and get rid of one of my cores and just keep S2s. Um, oh, Nathan Sanji, you're such a... Nathan Nathan uh, just asked me a question. What are the five questions you want to ask Paul next week? Um, and um, if you guys don't know, Nathan uh, worked with me at the store. Uh, he's a great guy. He's, I call him a kid. You know, He's like 20 five what are you 25 nathan 26 uh great kid and he works for prs now he buffs and sands your guitar so if you get a prs he's he's the guy that's the that's the job man that's 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 a no joke real job that's holding a guitar in front of a buffer eight to ten hours a day so and sanding hand sanding so it's it's hard work um I might get in trouble for saying this, but I happen to know this, um, not from Paul Reed Smith himself or anything, but it's really hard to find people to do what Nathan's doing. It's hard work, right? Um, basically he gets paid, you know, a, not a whole lot of money considering what he's doing for work. So shout out to Nathan for being a good worker, unless you guys got a guitar that wasn't buffed really well. <laughs> okay. So back to Nathan's question. What five questions would I ask Paul Reed Smith? Um, uh, you know, obviously I want to kind of save that to the PRS, but I'll, I'll give you a little uh, thing. I, I really, really what I want to know is uh, a couple things. One, um, I have a theory about artists, whether they're musicians or they're, uh, you know, uh, 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 guitar builders, um, you know, painters. Everybody has essentially this story, the Moby Dick story, right? Everybody has this great well, this thing that they're chasing. And, uh, you know, uh, Ozzy Osbourne once said that he, every album he's chasing his Sgt. Pepper. He's trying to make an album as good as the Beatles. Um, I'm curious, what is Paul Reed Smith's great white whale? What guitar did he play one day that was so amazing that he's been chasing it ever since? Not what guitar does he think he's better than? What guitar is he not better than? What guitar can he not match? I find that every time you talk to an artist, especially builders, no matter how good they make something, a pedal, an amp, a guitar, there is something out there that they just, every, every, so I believe that every single one of Paul Reed Smith's guitars is probably a failure in his mind to achieve the one perfect guitar he's chasing. 
So I'm curious. I'm curious to see what he says. Oh, or and when you be won't be interested if he says I'm totally wrong and <laughs> his guitars are the whale. Who knows? I don't know, but we'll see. Somebody said Junebug said Buffin sucks. <laughs> so uh, yeah, buff, yeah. Uh, the uh, uh, Arhoa says, "Are you? Uh, when are we going to see a Sir on the channel?" You know. I've tried to buy a Sir a couple times. I've been on Reverb and I was uh, 2000 bucks. You know, my problem with the Sir is they're double what my Fender Strat is. You know, 1000 bucks for a Fender Strat or $2,000. In fact, I so you know, I actually almost bought a Sir. That's how I ended up with the Solid Rosewood Strat. I got that for 1100 bucks. Um, I know it's kind of taboo to talk about money, but I'm going to talk about it because uh, I think it's you know, it's practical. Uh, 1100 bucks. I found a solid one piece Rosewood Fender American Strat for 1100 bucks with case in perfect condition. And I decided to go that way instead of the Sur. Um, it's the pricing and the Sur's resale value is strong. So used doesn't help you. You still got to pay $1,700 and $1,900 for a used one. So there you go. Uh, BV Ninja says, Phil, do you think that the modular stage amps like the Joyo and the um, Metropolis uh, Synergy are going to be just a phase or are they going to build a foothold and stay in the market oh good question you know uh i was telling a buddy of mine about the joyo amp and uh and and the interesting thing about this joyo amp is regardless if you think it's necessary to have all those features or whatever it is it is definitely a testament that an inexpensive joyo company a company that makes inexpensive product can make a quality amp that amp is amazing okay so um it is an impressive piece it's an an impressive piece of technology that they've created so regardless and i believe uh that if it had a a brand name on it like bogner or uh you know metropolis it would be a five six thousand dollar amplifier so um do i think no do i think that's going to be a foothold no um you know what I think is you have to overcome, you have to overcome, this is, this is what I learned selling stuff, right? You have to overcome not only objections, but you have to over, overcome uh, the fact that people think things that you can't, there's probably a better way to say it, but you get the idea. Uh, you, there, there's, there are things that we think as musicians that you can't, you have to overcome. I think personally, the perfect amps in the future will be tube preamps, like eight tube preamps, all preamped out, but then a class D or a solid state uh, or a trans, you know, solid state power section. Uh, and they've tried that in the past and they failed, but I really think with the technology, they got to keep improving and going that route because I think that's eventually where the, 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 it goes because here's why I think that one, a lot of amp builders really tend to say that the power sections don't create a whole lot of the tone. And also I'm not saying none of the tone, just saying a whole lot of it. And also, uh, a lot of the reasons why we really were driven towards big, powerful tube amps in the past was the way that they they created volume, the way that they roared, the way they cut through mixes. And a lot of us are using inner monitors uh, as stage monitors. So if power isn't the important thing anymore, then we could probably go to solid state. And if you could do that, you could drop the price of an amp. Two power, just two on a 50 watt tube amp, two power tubes are like 30, 40 bucks minimum. So you can drop the, the price of an amp. So I think the future of amps might be if they, they learn to integrate that those technologies uh, in, a, in a high-end stuff, um, you know, instead of versus, you know, making cheap amps that are solid state. Uh, Dylan says, hey, Nathan, you rock. 
good. Good, 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 good for you guys. I really appreciate you saying good things. Like I said, it's a, uh, you guys are obviously talking about rich light. Somebody said rich light are Gibson parts. Are the Gibson parts you buy on eBay, the same parts Gibson uses? Um, that's why not me. Uh, I can't tell you for sure. I can tell you that, um, Fender, when they sell aftermarket parts, they are the same parts because they use parts numbers. So the parts numbers equate. So uh, Gibson should be. This is what should happen. When you are a dealer and you have a, a defective Gibson or Fender and you have a problem, you will call them and say, I have a bad pick guard. It's warped or I have a bad tuning key. And uh, they will send you a replacement based on a part number. They'll look up that, that, that guitar and then that guitar is a list of part numbers that, it, you know, right, that make up the guitar. So, right, so the part number uh, for the tuning key is a part number, right? The fret wire is a part number. Everything's a part number. Um, so in theory, you should be getting the same parts that they're building the guitars with. As far as I know, uh, Gibson doesn't do it differently than Fender, which is they're not making separate parts for aftermarket use. Um, it makes sense. They just make up, they just make parts all day. Um, and both factories use some, almost the same logic when it comes to, uh, they, they build, they build parts all day. Fender's like really just building necks and building bodies and building parts and same with Gibson. And then they're putting them together. Uh, Music Man's a little bit more focused. They got more control of it. They're, they're, they chip the, they put a, a, a chip reader on the neck and on the body so that everywhere in the factory, they could tell you, like if you call Fender and Gibson, um, and same with PRS, they can't really tell you where something is in production. It's just like a guess. Right. They go, oh, it should be done the 13th. Um, but Music Man can go like, oh, it just got done with paint and it looks like the neck is going now for fret and the body is going for, right? They know where it is in the factory because each station scans those things. So, um, and it could be, it could be antiquated. I'm a year and a half or two years behind on the last time I've been to a Fender Gibson factory. So they could have updated since then. So who knows? Uh, Let's see. Um, okay. Uh, Chris St. St. Meyer says, thoughts on the Vox AC amps uh, not taking overdrives well. Hmm. I've never heard that. The... My guess is that probably they get a little bright and a little sizzly, a little fuzzy. That would be what I would imagine. Um, so um, usually, I think usually when I think of amps taking pedals well, like the Hot Rod Deluxe by Fender and stuff, the amps that generally doesn't matter what the pedal does, they they kind of warm the pedal up and make the pedal better than it should be or better than it is on its own. Um, yeah, I, I guess maybe the Vox ACs kind of add more fizz and highs to the pedals. Maybe maybe uh, go with a smoother overdrive turn the highs down a little bit so that's my thoughts um vox amps take pedals differently than fender amps anyways so so there's there's that so it wouldn't matter it's it's part of their charm okay and let's do two more questions before we call it a day and start our weekends uh Somebody said, do you own a ring modulator in my pedal collection? No, I have a, a boss, uh, or no boss. I have a line six, uh, M one, M five, M five. And it has that in there. So if I want that, I can use that. Um, I, I bought that pedal and then that made me get rid of like 50 pedals because I had all these weird, you know, uh, 
pedals like that that you just never use. But sometimes late at night and you, you know, you watch something inspirational and you think I, I need that sound, you go get your M5 out and use it. Um, let's see, uh, Dylan wants to know the best custom neck builder. I don't know, my favorite neck builder is Warmoth. They make really good stuff. The, uh, I've never had an issue. I've, o I've owned a bunch of Warmoth necks, never had an issue. Uh, I know you can get away with a lot less expensive necks, though. Mighty Might makes some good necks. Everybody makes some good, you know, import necks, all parts. Um, uh, I, I've put a lot of those guitars on for people. Obviously, I've done, like this week, one of the things that will hold me back, I did a lot of repair projects this week uh, for customers. And and that's what I get a lot of. People buy all these parts, they just bring it to me, and they go, put this together and <laughs> make it play right. Um, and I can tell you this, Warmoth is easy money. It's easy money, you know. There's a few guitars out there, easy money to just put together. They, they do great work. Uh, Talia says, hey, Phil, what do you think of the Rev amps? I haven't tried them. All I know about Rev is every YouTube channel on the planet has a Rev amp behind it. Uh, they are going to be at the GetCon, and so they'll be there for me to check out. I'll check them out. Uh, everything I've heard on YouTube sounds good. Um, I'm curious. You know, I'm sure like you guys, after a while, you're like, okay, are they... Are they, you know, are they good or are they just, you know, out there in YouTube land? Um, it's really curious. Um, one of the things that um, I've said, and if you watch my, my videos, uh, if somebody sends me a product, I say, hey, it's the guys that so-and-so sent me this product. Um, uh, I've decided, though, just to, just to make my life easier, I, I might not say it anymore. I'm going to print it on the videos. Does that make sense? So if somebody sends me a product, I'm going to just print it at the beginning and at the end of the video to let you know that the product was sent to me uh, to check out. Um, here's what I think. I, I think it, it, it's nobody's business if somebody on YouTube gets free gear versus lint gear versus paid for gear. When I say nobody's business, it is. But I mean, it, the specific, uh, specificity, dang, what is wrong with me today? Specifically, how much? Whether they got a dollar or $10,000. That's an income. That's Everybody understands that. Whatever you make is what you make. But they should have to disclose that they did get paid. They are compensated financially. They were given free gear or it's lended to them or loaned to them. Um, uh, the reason I think it's interesting is I want to be able to mentally discount that when I watch the video. When I watch a video and somebody gets a pedal and they say, hey, I got this pedal and they let me borrow it. Well, that tells me that your your money's not into it. So not that you're not going to tell the truth. I just think that I want to know that going into it. Um, and so uh, so on, that, on the Rev thing, I'm curious to see because when I see all these YouTubers, that's how I feel um, about this. When I see... Uh, too many YouTube videos out there with the same type of products in every video. After a while, I'm like, well, did they get shipped for free and that's why they all have them? Or is it this thing I need to figure out because it's awesome and everybody's getting it? Um, uh, so there you go. So I'm curious. I'm really curious to see uh, what I think of them when I try them. Uh, and I'll let you guys know. And then, like I said, on the videos, uh, when companies, instead of saying it, because I've been saying it, like Wampler sent me a couple pedals and he loaned them to me, or he sent them to me for me to check out. And then when I was done with the videos, I said, hey, they're they're done. And they never asked for them back. But in the videos, I disclosed to everybody, hey, um, they sent me these pedals. <laughs> and at that time, uh, I was being, they were I was borrowing them, which I still think I'm borrowing them because... You know, but anyways, the whole point is, I think it's important to disclose all that. Um, for any, the only main reason is, I I would like to know. 
you know, uh, me personally. It doesn't stop me from watching anybody. It just lets me understand. So there you go. I hope I don't get any trouble for the backlash of that. Because, <laughs> again, I don't have any issues with it. All right. Um, all right. Any, well, any last thoughts before we go? Uh, Noah Jones wants to know, should I put four generation noiseless pickups in my Strat? That's the new uh, Fender ones. They're pretty good. Like I said, I like the NF3s or N3s. The N3s. Um, the four generation ones, they were pretty good. They were in the, these are the ones in the Elites Strats. Yeah, I'll go with it. I had an Elite Strat. I got rid of it. Uh, you know, it was a great guitar. Had nothing wrong with it. I just, it was taking away time from my copper strat. So. Okay, got to answer this because it's too funny. What's your favorite chord? F. The F chord. No no pun or joke intended. I just, I don't like that. I'll start a lot of songs with that chord. So. Uh, Dave says, hey, from York, UK, your show is meant. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying it. And then, and okay. And the last one, yeah, Chris is saying the Fender Elites were really nice. They were. It was so nice. I My Copper Strat, if you don't know, is a Fender custom shop that I had specifically made for me by Fender, and the Elite was as good in any way, in every way. But I'm not going to get rid of the Copper Strat because, one, I've had it for a long time, I'm connected to it, and my name is on it. They actually printed my name on the guitar. So I just feel like, well, I, you know, i got to keep that. Plus, who's going to, you know, what am I going to sell a guitar with my name on it? Silly. <laughs> so, uh They, um, okay. So that looks like that's the end of the questions or at least the, the bulk of it. I appreciate you guys hanging with me this Friday as always. It was, it was cool. Um, you guys had great questions next week, next Thursday. Uh, there's already set up and everything for you guys to check out. Uh, Paul Reed Smith is going to be joining me for the QA. It is just like this. He's here to answer your questions and talk to you. If you want to spend the time talking to him about his models of PRSs and what he wants, you know, and how his company, that's fine. But if you want to ask him questions like, you know, what guitars do you love? You know, talk to him like a gear guy because he's here to be a gear guy. Um, he's not here to promote any products or anything. This isn't like a talk show where they're here to promote their newest project. He's here because um, I asked if he would come on and talk gear with us and uh, he said yes. So that's why he's coming. So anything else? Uh, it, just keep that in mind. If you guys want to send the questions to asknowyourgear at gmail.com, I'll put a link in the description. Uh, just put in the subject matter PRS, ask whatever question you want. Um, and then... Uh, you know, and here, I'll just say this. Motokev says, hey, I'm sick of Paul. You know, Motokev, I understand because he's probably one of the most visible guys from a company. But the, the truth is there's not a whole lot of guys to ask anymore. You know, Fender can send the CEO here, you know, but but as people who still own and run a guitar company, there's not a whole lot. So, but I'm hoping, and, and so you know, I'm hoping that with Paul coming on the channel, that that will get people excited enough so when I start bringing on smaller builders, you know, you'll have comparison to see how they think. 
So, so like I said, I, I'd like to have more people come on the, the, the live chat and answer your questions, right? So, uh, Sean Blue says, what date for Paul? Uh, you know, I can't see right now. I'm pretty sure it's next Thursday. So here. All right. It is Thursday, the 31st. So, uh, and the times and everything. And I'll put all that in the link in the description below as well. So we'll keep that easy. So there you go. As always, guys, thank you guys for hanging out with me today. I appreciate it. Um, and, uh, and you guys have a great weekend. Oh, one last question. That's it. The very last one. Maybe. Nope. There's no question. All right, guys. That's it. So you guys have a great weekend.